From the Duck South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. We're mass communicating. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. This is the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I give it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. And now, here's your host, Rocky LaFleur. I bet you slice into the woods a hundred bucks. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir, and I never slice. Also starring Josh Webb, Jake LaTondras, Rob Kroon, David Ellis, and Ramsey Russell. Showtime. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Showtime, everybody! Showtime! Welcome to the End of the Line podcast. I'm Rocky LaFleur in the Ducks House Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. Joining me on the other end of the line, Josh Raggio, the call maker. Josh, we're driving the bus by ourselves this week. <laughs> I think we can handle it. Oh, yeah. I think we can handle it. How you doing today, Rocky? Need more coffee. <laughs> I'll tell you, man. I went to bed pretty early last night, and so my day started about three forty-five or four this morning. I just couldn't couldn't sleep anymore, so I headed out to the shop. So I started drinking coffee pretty early. So I, I'm one of the binge watchers uh, when it comes to watching something on TV. And there's not but like two shows total between regular TV and Netflix and everything. So I've been watching this show called The Blacklist. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but the new season was released on Netflix. And I was at a part that uh, I guess it was if you're in real time on TV, NBC that's where the show comes from it was kind of the mid-season conclusion uh, i think like the episode 10 11 and 12 so you couldn't stop at 10 you know it was big cliffhangers mm-hmm. and so he ended up looking at the clock last night it's 11 45 is that late for you heck yeah yeah. Oh my eyes! Look, my eyes go down with the sun, literally. <laughs> I'll tell you, I used to be like that. I've, I've last night was weird to be in bed by nine o'clock for me. Usually, I'm in the shop till you know ten or eleven, twelve or later. Sometimes. Every day is a little different. Some days you're just real tired. Sometimes you just got so much energy, you just might as well keep working. You know. I can see you being the dad, though. That that good guy. You you really are. You, you spend time with your kids while they're awake, and the you know, and then when they go back to bed, honey, I'm going to the shop. That's you pretty know, much make, my routine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I have a. Uh, Drop off school duty a couple of days a week, and uh, so I get some time in the mornings like that, uh, my little girl. And then every afternoon about, they get home from school uh, usually around 3.30 or 4, 
and my kids we don't really play inside we play outside and so you know that four to five to six range we just you know my wife and i just sit outside and we just watch kids play and play with them and eat supper and then yeah they go to bed and i'm pretty much right back at it i'm not a big like you know like you're saying about the bench watching I've, I've done that before but i'm not a big tv guy i I don't want to call it wait my wife likes to that's how she relaxes and kind of chills um and i get it but i i'm i don't know i, I don't I like to be productive as possible with my time and, you know, with your shot right out, you know, at the end of your driveway, it's really easy for me just to walk back outside and start working. So, but I do love to read, you know, I love to read. That's, that's kind of how I'll go to sleep most nights, read on my Kindle. Always have a few books going. But yeah, man, that kid time is, is fun. And it's crazy right now with a two and a seven year old. They're kind of wild. Let me ask you something. Most of your, I'm not going to say your friends, but most of your acquaintances don't do what you just said as far as going outside with the kids, kicking in the, sitting back in the lawn chair in the driveway while they ride their bikes. I, I mean, I know that's not an everyday occurrence with you, but it happens more often than not. And see, we as a family do things together every afternoon at the farm. Right. That, that's our deal. We, we're, as soon as school's out for three hours, we're feeding, cleaning, washing, doing something. Mm -hmm. And I look around at my friends, acquaintances, and just some things baffle me how others think you're given one shot one opportunity to equip your kids face the world why waste it why waste yeah, that opportunity <laughs> yeah i mean it, it actually is pretty much an everyday occurrence for for you know us but rocky you got to remember i mean i'm i'm very fortunate it wasn't when I worked at Caterpillar, because I worked, you know, I had to leave early and I worked pretty late. And I'm just very fortunate to to be able to work from home now and, and have the flexibility, like, you know, this morning, if I want to come out and start working at 4 a.m., well, you know, I can take two hours in the afternoon or an hour or whatever it is uh, to kind of have that time that, you know, quite frankly, I mean, a lot of people just can't do because of work schedule, you know. And I get it, man. It's, it was a grind. You come home and, you know, you've been working all day and, you know, you're, you're exhausted, first of all, mentally and, and physically. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm, that was part of the reason, you know, part of why I do what I do and made the decision to, you know, to make calls full time was, was that aspect of watching my kids grow up. Uh, it was, it was a big deal to me, uh, you know, to be home and not miss some of these years that I was going to miss. Man, I, you know, at CAD, I'd work all day, get home, get a few minutes with them, and then I was back out in this shop, you know, working all night on calls, and it just it never ended. And I really had to step back and look at that and say, all right, you know, what really matters here? Um, you know, and ultimately it's, it's family and, uh, you know, get to spend some of that time.
I want to raise my kids. I don't want somebody else to raise them. Is the bottom line. You I don't know? either. I don't either. Yeah. I, look, if you if if everybody listen to this, if all the stupid things I say and do on this podcast, try one thing. Ask your kids every day. Sit down and talk with them, and ask them what was the best thing that happened to them that day, and what was the worst thing that happened that day. Both are unbelievable, teachable moments that you that create create great conversation. Yeah, because usually, usually the worst thing is, you know, of course. Not that bad, but it's a very teachable moment in how to handle things in life. Yeah, as a kid now, but as an adult later on. I don't know where I heard or read that, but every single day, I try to ask them, what's the best moment? What happened today? And what's the worst (laughs) thing that happened? That's good advice, Rocky. I like that. I'm going to start doing that. We'll start it's wild. Some of the, it's wild. Some of the answers you'll get. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. All right. What so, else is going on? So when we left it last week with Brooks, you know, we kind of we kind of talked, <laughs> of course, the stories, the stories of you mm-hmm. two hunting together. It was really good. A lot, lot of, lot of people listened that episode and i said when we got off there man that's gonna be a good one and it was good i hope people enjoyed it but you know we kind of but we kind of progressed toward the end of you starting the business but i I don't want to walk through step by step of the business Mm -hmm. it's been done we've we've done it over and over and over I want to talk about the things that make your business unique. Because it amazes me some of the things that you come up with. It's un, it's unreal how thought out that process is. I'll give you an example. Like we were talking about boss the other day with Lee. You you're you and Lee's mine kind of work alike you know their uniqueness about how they package their shells yeah most 90 percent 99.8 percent of the world would throw them in a box send them to you no they put them in a in a canvas bag Uh, you know that had to be a thought long thought out process going back to the crown royal bag i'm assuming yeah, yeah, I can see that uh, similarity there. Man, that's the biggest compliment you could ever give me is to tell me that my mind thinks like his. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's holy cow, he's awesome. I don't know, Rocky. So, hmm, I don't know how to answer that because a lot of things that <clears throat> that I do, right, I guess. I'll, I, give you, I'll, I'll, I'll give you one. Okay. Let me, I'll start you off with one. Every call that you send out, uh, you put a note. Mm -hmm. 
right? With that call. Yeah. 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 Every call gets mailed out um, of the shop. And I hope I, I never know, got a thank. I, I never got a thank you note for nothing against them, Marin T or Echo. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's that's a different deal. Um, no, I, I you know, I'm selling a few hundred calls a year. You know, those guys are thousands of calls. You know, right. But yeah, it's the thought process. So the deal is, I, I really, and this is no, this is no joke. I really appreciate somebody. It means a lot to me for somebody to spend their hard-earned money with me for a duck call, um, and I don't take that lightly. And you know, I, obviously, I tell them thank you on the phone and all that. But I don't know, going a a little bit of an extra step just to write a thank you, and you know, for, for supporting my, my small shop. Um, you know, I just don't think that's, and, and, and part of that came from the corporate world. I had, I had a boss one time and, uh, that's how I started that habit. He, he told me, he said, y'all, every time you sell a machine, y'all, you know, y'all write a thank you note. And I thought, well, you know, yeah, whatever. Well, I started doing it and I started getting feedback from people, a handwritten thank you note, not an email or typed out. And I started getting feedback from these guys more about the dang note that I wrote than about the machine that they bought. And so that just kind of carried on from there is a very small thing to do that just meant so much to people because nobody ever does it anymore. Nobody writes thank you notes anymore. So, yeah, I mean, that's, I guess that, I guess that could be unique, but it was really just a, it was a way for me to just to, to say thank you again you know for for spending your your money on something that i make i'm i'm, I'm always humbled by it i'm not gonna lie it's uh it's a cool thing i had a very very successful person tell me probably early 2000s because i hadn't thought about it since i graduated high school that because that was the most dreaded part of graduating high school to me was writing thank you notes all the mm-hmm. senior gifts that you got. Guy came in hunting with me one time. And he said, uh, "You know, you were going through one of those phases in the early 2000s. Uh, I call it the pharma. Went from pharma to large percentage of pharma clients, and then they cut that out to building a real estate client base because of the boom." of real estate in the 2000s, early 2000s. Anyway, this guy said, listen, you want to build a business of people returning each year? Send them a thank you note. Send, you know, send every person that comes through your doors a thank you note. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, 70 to 80% kept coming back every year. Is it, is it because of the thank you notes? Nah. I'm not going to say that, but it helped build a relationship. And at the end of the day, the world we live in, it's all about relationships. I don't care. It is. How much this smartphone and how many different media, social media or media outlets we have, it's still going to be about relationships. That's, yeah. that's life. And there's yeah, no, I mean, yeah. 
There's no greater We're, thing in this world than showing appreciation to people that, that spend money with you. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree anymore. I mean, <clears throat> most jobs, you, you may sell a product, but I mean, you're in the, you're in the people business, you know, and that's, um, for me, even though I, I am, you know, we had talked about before somewhat introverted for me, dealing with people is one of, you know, on one-on-one basis, like I get to do is one of my favorite things. Cause you know, we, we talk through, through the build, you know, what, what, what the person may want, you know, type of wood and bands and, and different things. And so, you know, what I, <clears throat> what I try to do when they get that box and they open it up, you know, I want them to open it up and get more than they expected. And that's not an easy thing to, to create and do in a, in a package. Um, and so I guess it's, you know, like the thank you note, you, you, you see it as unique. I see it as normal for me. Like, why wouldn't you do that? Um, you know, and some of the other things like we talked about before that are, that are in the box. Um, you know, those may be unique to, to me and kind of what I do and, you know, kind of what I'm trying to create within my business through storytelling and different things like that. Uh, she, you know, the, the, the journal cards and, and such. So, yeah, I do put a, I, I did put a lot of, of thought into what, how is this person going to feel when he opens this box? Does, does that make sense? Yeah. Do you feel like he got his money's worth or is he like, uh, yeah, you know? And I don't ever want want somebody to feel like, uh, you know, they didn't get. I always want to over deliver. How about that? I think that, that is a great way to be. Under under promise and over deliver. Yeah. 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 So. Um, you know, one thing I do see is as unique is is like the mobile shop. That's uh, I'd, I'd call that unique as to kind of what I do, and and that all goes back to um, trying to create an experience surrounding a duck call, and and you know, getting it made, and then taking it out to the field and building those stories and passing it down. Um, I mean, it's all about the experience, and and that's. That's what the packaging was all about. It's open it up and have an experience. So I guess everything I do is trying to create that uh, that experience feel to it, not like you just you know bought a you know something off the shelf at Walmart. Right. Um, so I, you know I hope I hope some of those things that I that I do help create that that feel. Uh, you know when you when you order a call or when you come visit the the shop in Raymond or the mobile shop, whatever it is, that that's the, that's the goal behind that. Um, you know, and I love it. You know, I love that interaction with, with somebody, uh, you know, when they're getting a call made and to see the excitement in their eyes when it's done and you hand it to them. I mean, that makes it all worth it to me. I love it. You know, too, talk, kind of talking about the storytelling aspect of it is, I really, I really love the Instagram side of things. You know, essentially, I built a built the business on social media, and have a website till a couple of years ago, 
And so, <clears throat> again, it goes back to, you know, having great photographers. You know, thank goodness Edward, my best friend, is one of the best out there right now. And I've been fortunate to work with some others that have come to the shop and, um, you know, trying to tell that story of what actually goes on in the shop, you know, kind of on a daily basis, letting people in, seeing, uh, you know, how the, the tools work and different steps of the process. Um, that's why I've loved listening to Lee and Jake talk because I can relate to every single thing they're discussing. Um, uh, through my through my business and what I'm trying to achieve through a picture, you know, and a one sentence caption. And honestly, I'll I'll sit there for an hour sometimes looking at pictures and trying to figure out what to say and you know and it just but it means that much to me. I'd rather post one really good picture a week than five that are you know mediocre or, or worse. Um, it's just you know I want I want everything that I do from a picture on Instagram to a note in the box to the, the, the call to the mobile shop, everything to be first class. And that's, that's what I constantly try to achieve. And it's mentally exhausting sometimes, but I don't see running a business any other way. So that, that won't ever change. And if it does, I'll be done at that point. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's talk about this for a minute. You know, one of the first, besides a couple of interactions on MS Ducks back in the old days between you and I, knew of you, but it wasn't until the uh, the call night. We, and we touched on this a little bit last week, but I want to go in depth with this because it was the thing that made me step back and said, wow, this, this, this thing is headed places. Mm -hmm. But we shared a lot of the same friends. I saw a lot of those, those people coming to your call, sh to the, to the call shop and you, you would have call nights. I think it started out the first one. I remember on social media, there were probably 12 there. That first one, maybe mm -hmm. eight or 12. And then it, it just grew into this humongous thing. There, there's a lot of history but behind getting together at uh, callmaker shops. And yeah. it's something that kind of died off there for a while, 20 or 30 years, because it used to be a, well, I'm not going to say it died off because Butch would have people at his shop all the time, correct? That, you know, uh, yeah, they did some. They did a lot with kids. That was their, that was Butch's thing. Butch loved working with kids and teaching them how to blow duck calls. I, I think they still do that. Echo had a, <clears throat> the Echo had a night. I don't remember if it was like all year, but for sure, for a while there, on Tuesday nights, I think, where they would, you know, it could be kids or adults. You could go in and and get call lessons. Um. I think basically everybody kind of just got a turn and it was, I, I, it may have been more comp call, you know, like main street geared, but basically, you know, you had all the, I mean, David St. John and all those guys, you know, world champions in there, Rick and Jonathan. I mean, it, you know, and you could get critiqued by, you know, some of the best in the world. And that's where that call night idea was not original to me because I knew echo was, was doing that. And I thought, well, I can do that here. 
because um, I mean, guys can't drive six hours from here every week to, you know, to different shops. So that's why that's how it started. It was like, man, let's just see if if people are interested in learning how to blow a duck call. I'll it'll be free. I'll open up the shop to anybody. I think the first night I bought a, you know, twenty or thirty pizzas, and we just sat around and you know I did a little instruction. Uh, you know, Brooks was here, and you know, a dozen people showed up, and we literally everybody just kind of took turns, kind of split off into groups, and it was duck call instruction. It was a lot of fun. It, I mean, to the point, I was like, dang, this is really cool. And I got such good feedback from it. I said, all right, let's do it again next month. And so we did. And I think that time we had, you know, about 30 people show up, 25 to 30. And at that point, it's getting kind of crowded and kind of hard to do one-on-one type instruction. And so I started after that one, I thought, all right, so this thing is really getting some traction. People are liking this. Let's instead of doing that, you know, one-on-one call lessons, let's invite a guest and I'll interview them. You know, somebody that people locally here probably would not get a chance to meet. And so I called Billy Starks, who's, you know, I think, you know, Billy was in his mid seventies at that time, hadn't been out of that garden. I think four years is what he told me. I had to call his buddy, our mutual friend, Mike Lewis, and ask him to drive him down here. And he did. And it was a, it was a hit, you know, I think we had 40 or 50 people that time. So it just kept growing, kind of snowballing, to, but I was loving it. It was so much fun. Again, it was free and, you know, I was feeding people for free and all the information, the guests, like it was just, it was a great time. And then I, you know, I think you came maybe to that next one. I think we had, uh, you know, we've had John Stevens. We have David St. John, uh, Brooke Richard, we've had a couple of, you know, I mean, all the guests have been fantastic. Um, you know, but it got to the point where it was about 150 people coming in the middle of the summer. And so I was having to get, you know, like you saw the big white tent in my backyard with stage and, you know, 150 chairs and trying to feed 150 is a little different story. So I actually, you know, I had to start getting sponsors uh, to cover costs on the tent and, and food and different things, but I still, you know, was able to do it at no cost to the people that came. And so, yeah, man, it was just, uh, I don't even know how to, yeah, it just kept growing to the point where it really kind of became a job planning them once they got that size. So I kind of had to back off, but it was fun there for a while. I think we did five, five months in a row. Call nights. It, it was one of it, it was something that you would expect in Stuttgart, but not in central Mississippi. It, yeah. it was big time. It, it was really, really cool. Well, it was just so much fun because you're talking about you know everybody there basically has the exact same interest and. You know, people were just hungry for whatever was going on. You know, the the camaraderie, the educational side, the meeting the guests that were coming from out of town. You know, giving their time to come come do that uh, for me. Um, there was just something about it that people really liked, and I still, Rocky, I still get messages every week asking me when the next call night is. 
every week, it never fails, I get a message about call night. Oh, uh, a lot of fun. A lot, a lot Maybe of I'll fun. Start doing it, again. <laughs> well, you, you actually started, you did a couple of, away from the call shop. I think that you went to maybe Ole Miss and Mississippi State, both. Nah, went Bernie to State. And did one. Yeah, we went to to the to the front house and uh, at Mississippi State. We did one at Tri-State Truck in uh, in Little Rock. I did one here at the Circle Seven store in Madison. That's right. Um, yeah, so we did. We've done three or four off-site ones. And they're a heck of a lot easier to put on for me you know, than having to to do it at your house. But um, yeah, we may get we may get them cranked back up here before too long. We'll see. All right, let's spend a little time on this. You, none of these were kind of pre-planned, but uh, what I think about when I think about Reggio Custom Calls in the shop, when you walk through the garage door just to prepare you guys it's probably going to stop by there at some point you walk into a room that i guess it would actually be the yeah be the the first room you walk into mm-hmm. it's almost like a waterfowl museum i mean there's stuff mm-hmm. in that room that good grief that museums would love to have I mean, it's some very, very unique waterfowl items. There's there's carved decoys, some of your first calls that that you made, um, some of the old the pictures. Jeez. Yeah, I'm actually standing in here right now. Um, you know, a lot of this, <clears throat> I collected calls for a while before I ever started making them, so I had accumulated quite a few calls, and I'm. I'm probably in a neighborhood of 200 to 300 calls that I didn't make that I have in my collection. You know, all but I think two of them are uh, handmade. That's obviously kind of my thing, what I like to collect. Um, yeah, but I'll tell you. So a lot of it, I guess, I, I you know accumulated on my own. Some of it was my dad's. But it's gotten to the point now where when people come in, when they come to the shop, they see it. And the next thing I know, I'll get something in the mail that next week from that person that was in the shop. And it may be an old picture or an old letter from an old call maker, or it's just, I get some of the coolest stuff sent to me because they know that I'm going to display it and be very proud of it um, and tell the story behind it. Um, so yeah, the, and I'll tell you, so, so the, the calls I did make in here, when I first started, I had a call maker, older, older call maker he told me so you're going to be you know you get some orders and you're going to be excited and you're going to sell those calls he said but you need to keep you know the first 10 or 20 that you make because your kids will really appreciate that one day and of course at that time i couldn't really fathom that but i did i kept most of the first 20 and thank goodness because i was still using a flat jig and you know some of them sound like a sick duck but some of them sound pretty good i was still working on my tone board but that was some really good advice when I was kind of getting started. I had a couple of call, older call makers that were, were um, you know, that I call and just talked to about. 
and and that was some one of the advice that one of them gave me and yeah i'm very what's the word nostalgic love old stuff love stuff with you know it has a story associated with it um got the old trophy uh my buddy ryan watson gave me the trophy from 1977 uh and Bob Westerfield won the Mississippi Regional. They went to blow in the worlds, and I have the call also that he blew that year. So I've got some really, you know, in the worlds. It was old Jensen. They used to put aluminum foil under the reed to make it buzz a little more. Uh, I've got some really cool stuff in here. Yeah. Appreciate that, Rocky. Some of the old photos, was it, who sent you the, the old photos? Was it Jib? Who sent you? Jed. Jed. Yeah, yeah. From Mississippi River, night later, yeah. like circa nineteen fifteen to nineteen twenty two, his uncle, great uncle or something, is uh is in them, and yeah, they're phenomenal, uh, old black and whites. And back when the the Canadas used to migrate all the way down to Vicksburg, it's some. Um, you will spend anymore. thirty minutes or an hour in that room. You may think that it's probably a large room, but it's a, it's so much and so many things in that room that they're just just very nostalgic. Yes, it's For, probably it, a bit it, overwhelming when you first walk in. To your eyes, you really got to just stop and slow down and look at every little thing to take it in. The have you ever thought bat, about this? Cool thing. You know, I turn the, these. No, no, go ahead. I, I've been fortunate to turn these, you know, professional baseball players, you know, bats into calls, and so that's one thing I am pretty proud of. That's on display is, you know, I keep the handle part, and they sign them uh, for me, and you know, the rest of the the bat gets made into the call that I send off. But I'm pretty proud of those. That's that's been a, a fun, been a fun thing. Dave Corley with Upper Duck kind of got that. Scott Rowe was the first one I turned, kind of got that going for me. Um, that, you know, that's something that I'm pretty always excited to do, have the opportunity to do. Let me ask you this. So when you're laying in bed thinking about the calls, when Josh Reggio is gone one day, Ever thought about the collector's value on on your calls? Nah, years from now, nah, I don't worry about that. I'm just saying, man. I mean, it's gonna be a it's gonna be huge. I, I think it's just because I mean, there's not <clears throat> not like you're mass producing them. Oh no, there ain't nothing mass produced about what I'm doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, or not not even the just don't even take the word value out. Just just man. Thirty, forty years from now. Uh yeah. I got a I got a Josh Reggio number eighty eight, you know. Yeah. Eighty eight column that he made or something, you know. Uh, it, you know, Rocky, I don't know. I, I I'll be honest with you, it doesn't really cross my mind. Um, I mean, of course, I, I'm more about the 
Well, I guess it, it kind of does in this way. I mean, I'm more about a grandkid of somebody that's buying a call for me today that will have grandkids one day. It's way cooler for me to think about the story that that kid's going to have, you know, when he gets that call one day. That's cool, m- way cooler to me than how much it's worth, you know. I mean, at that point is priceless, yeah. you know. Yeah, I, I didn't mean it. That's my fault for putting that word on there. I'm just thinking about, uh, I didn't mean it in a dollar sense, just the won't have one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, uh, you know, I see posts all the time, uh, such and such is looking for a, you know, there's so many different calls that, that people are looking for. Mm-hmm. And I'm just sitting mm-hmm. here thinking, man, Thirty or forty years from now, <laughs> it should be a rare deal to see a Raggio call come up for sale. It'd be a big deal. And, you know, and maybe so. to get their hands on one. Yeah. Talk about talk it's about w- something else that makes you very unique. The types of woods that, for me, to somebody that's blown, you know, just blown an acrylic call. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much my grief, whole kind of guiding career. The different types of woods that you're using, to me, that made it very unique for me. Yeah, I spend a ton of time um, with my wood dealers, you know, on the phone, through text, you know, pictures things like that. I'm pretty peculiar and they know this now <clears throat> about what I buy. I mean, you know, I, I pretty much will only buy the primo stuff. Like if it's not, if it's not just grade A, and my, my thought process is if I start with a grade A, you know, uh, rough product, then the chances of getting a grade A finished product is is much higher, you know. And while you can't see what's in the inside, I mean, obviously I buy square blanks, and as you start turning it, you just never know. And that's also part of the fun of it. If I turned a, the same wood, the same duck call every day, there's no way I could do what I do every day. No way. Part of the fun for me is the mystery of what that piece of wood is going to look like once I get it to my shape. Does that make sense? So the the allure of it to me is like man I'm sitting here looking at you know a few hundred blocks of wood right now and I can't wait to turn every single one of them to see what the final product's going to look like once it's once it's done you know and there and there's a finish on it and you know you're taking pictures of it that is so much fun to me but yeah you know I'm not I'm not used to you know, when I first started it was tough uh you know and, and I had my reservations but you know, I will spend a hundred bucks on a you know five six inch piece of wood in a heartbeat, um, just because it's because I'm looking. I can envision what it's probably going to look like at the end of the day, and so yeah. I mean, I I spent a ton of time picking out wood blanks, and if this shop ever caught on fire, that would be what I would cry about. Is 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 all my wood blanks. That's where all my money is tied up. 
I'll say another thing, the uniqueness of the smell. Some of the woods that you're that you're that you're turning, jeez, man, it, it's nothing. Yeah. It's nothing like just the regular wood calls. No, some of them are pretty good, and there's some that I flat out won't turn because they just make me sick. It smells so horrible. Um, one of them is desert ironwood, which is absolutely beautiful, but it smells like a turd in a bucket. And my shop will smell like that for a week and I just can't deal with it, you know, but there's others that are just yellow cedar burls and, you know, the koa sometimes and even blackwood has got a kind of a sweet smell to it. And I, yeah, with it, I could walk into somebody else's shop and probably tell you what kind of wood they're turning based on what it smells like a lot of times, you know, which is funny to get to that point from, from start till now, but yeah. Most most call makers you expect to walk into their shop and it to be I remember telling you this. I remember telling you this. You you walk in expecting it to be just sawdust, dusty, not to watch Josh turn a call and be able to hold that vacuum hose. As he turns it, and majority of the dust being sucked up, it, it will blow you away because you, you, for me, you walk into it like I said, your expectations going in are nothing like what they turn out to be because it, Josh's shop is immaculate. Thank you. Yeah, I, uh, I take a lot of pride in that. I mean, it's uh. I can't work in a just a dirty environment. I cannot be productive like that. And so, yeah, I mean, it's it's part of the process of it kind of was accidental because I couldn't wear a mask and it would fog my glasses up to the point I couldn't see. And so I started using that shop back hose, holding it. And, you know, I guess part of the byproduct of that was there was then no mess because everything that was coming you know, off the, off the block was going straight into the shot vac. And so I pretty much just adopted that process at every station. Uh, and now, you know, I use a shot vac at every saw, every drill press, obviously the lathe. And so the shop just, it stays clean. Uh, I mean, who wants to walk into a, you know, a shop that's, I don't know. I just, I try to make it, I try to keep it very inviting and very comfortable for people when they do come. Um, cause the, the, the visitor, the visitor rate, I guess I'm having a lot more people start to come to the shop and I love it. And so, uh, my obligation to them is to keep it very, very clean and inviting and, you know, great experience when they take the time to come here. Well, that's a very, it's a, it's a cool place to come to. It's a, it's a. It's an experience that every person that loves waterfowling needs to, you know, go spend 30 minutes or an hour, a couple hours there. Well, what, am I missing anything? What what else have I, or have you not talked about that kind of sets you apart? 
Hmm. Rocky, I don't know. Like I said, I see a lot of things that I do as normal, whereas maybe other people see them as unique or, you know, um, I've got some really cool ideas. I'm kind of like, probably like Lee and Jake that the wheels never stop turning. Um, you know, and there, there's a lot of things that, you know, that I, I feel like I've, I've done or maybe done, done first and that get copied, you know, just like they were talking about with the photographs and all that. Um, you know, but it's, if you're, if you're having to do that, then, you know, I'm, I'm a year or two ahead of you on ideas, just like Jake and Lee are with their, what they do, you know, um, cause they just, the, like I said, the, the wheels just never stop turning that it's part of it. You know, I can't do anything about it. Uh, but yeah, it keeps me awake at night. What's, what's next? What's next? What can I do next? Could you say that you have it down to a process where, I mean, Nick Saban-esque every day mm, for you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every day looks different, but as far as the process of uh, how I think about my day, how I actually, you know, process, you know, make the call, uh, yeah, but I'm a little too... <clears throat> um, probably a little too all over the board to be Nick Saban-ish because I've got my mind is just going in so many different directions trying to and my honestly Rocky my the toughest part about being a one-man show is you I want to do so many things and I'm just you know I don't know it, it I'm, there's just only so many hours in the day and uh, that's very frustrating sometimes. But on the other hand, to try to to back off just a little bit and try to keep it simple, but very unique and, and you know very interesting is I don't know. I'm always I'm always uh, in conflict about that. Um, so I do have some cool ideas that I want to get done. So we'll see. Do you get? Let me let me just close it out here. How do you handle kinks pop up in every business day? How do you handle them? 99% of the time, um, I just go with the flow. What really, what really frustrates me and crawls under my skin is when I'm making a call and there's something that the wood dealer nor I could have seen internally, you know, maybe a, a check in it or a crack in it or something like that. And, and I've spent, you know, an hour, two or three on this call and it may be the only piece of wood I had like that. And there's nothing I can do. That makes me want to throw it up against the wall and break it into a hundred pieces. And usually that only happens about 1030 at night, but <laughs> The rest of the kinks in the day, I don't really have kinks in the day, Rocky. You know, I mean, it's, I'm a planner, but, you know, if the wife calls and says, hey, I need you to go get, you know, Jet from, from school today. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's fine with me. I'll work an extra hour tonight uh, to make up for that time. 
um, I don't know. I'm I'm pretty laid back, man. I'm uh, I have stresses, but they're very different from what they used to be. That's for sure. My stresses from these orders, you know, that I'm that I maybe told a guy, you know, I hope to have it in June, and we're looking at September, and I'm still working on April's orders. Um, you know, thankfully, most everybody understands uh, it's just a process. It's a slow process, and you know, life gets in the way sometimes. Uh, but that's where my stress comes from is is letting somebody down on something that I told them. Most people read the reason that I, I just kind of show the personal side of you because most people that do what you do, not from exact, but from a process. I know where people are sick of hearing that word standpoint. Um, usually when they get a kink thrown in there, they they go crazy. Most process or type people don't handle small things that come up really well because they're so hyper-focused. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm not hyper-focused. I'm just saying I maybe handle them a little differently. Uh, just because, Rocky, it's... I can't stress this enough and people are probably tired of me saying this, but I am so fortunate to love what I do and literally everything about it, except the accounting. I don't, I hate, I hate, I hate the money side of things, but you know, it's, it's part of the business. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's listening to, uh, you know, other, your other podcasts, um, before with, you know, business owner, you know, like a vet goes to school. Well, he doesn't get a business degree. He gets a vet degree like your wife, you know, so running a business may be totally foreign to him. Unfortunately, I had a business degree, but so that helps me in the day to day of my business. But man, when you, when you literally love what you do and everything about it, a kink is not really a kink. It's just kind of part of it. And you just, you just handle it and you move on. And my outlook on it. I think that you gave us a very, very uh, look into your, a really good look into your world and what it's like around the call shop and what yeah. sets Raggio calls apart. Because I think that those things that do really set you apart from all the rest of the call makers out there or what's catapulting you so fast, so far ahead of everybody else. Well, thank you. Thank you. I mean, also, you know, I obviously also hope it's, it's the actual call itself. I know there's, oh, there's yeah. much bigger, uh, you know, that's understood. Yeah. In the process that I went through to get to, to that, Paul, you know, and we won't get into the weeds on that. That's very technical. And, um, but the way that I did it, I, I think is there's some allure to that also. And, and I hope people understand that, you know, and they do, they get it. They get it. 
Yeah, thank you, man. It's uh, appreciate the kind words. Well, net look next week. Kind of talked about this before before we started recording. I want to spend some time on your dad. I want to spend some time on your dad. Um, you know, we 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 talked about a little bit about him. I think in the second podcast, second episode, but I want to spend some more time because. There, there's a story there in the past few years that really changed how you look at life. And a lot of you yeah, know, absolutely. Robert, that, that knows Josh, knows his dad, knows what probably what's coming. But it's uh, Mr. Raggio is one of the finest people. If you get to shake his hand while you're at the call shop, Consider yourself lucky. He's a he's an awesome guy. <laughs> he's a pretty good old fella. He's a pretty good old fella. I tell you, I've uh, I've been getting some messages um, this week, so I assume that it's starting to hit mailboxes. But there's a a really nice photo essay in the Delta Waterfowl magazine that's coming out right now. Uh, that's kind of centered around his story, or really our story. Uh, he and I kind of how things came full circle with his transplant and there's some there's some hunting in there and some some shop stuff in there so uh all leading to the film release you know in october so we're excited about that well next week we're gonna like i said we're gonna spend some time talking about that 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 should be really really good but josh i know you got to get to a meeting enjoyed it today thank you for spending some time I'm talking about the things that that are important to you that set you apart. So, thank you again, bud. Absolutely. Thank you, Rocky. It's always fun to talk about this, man. Always fun. Hey, hey, before I let you go, details yeah. real quick of the upcoming event on October. Is it the fifth? Yeah, October fourth. It's Friday night. Um, I think we have about eight tickets left to it. Um, you can go to my Facebook page. Uh, call page Razio custom calls on facebook there's a link that you go to to get a ticket um i'm hosting it it's a bha backcountry hunters and anglers event uh i'll be uh, myself and devin singleton will be speaking at it there'll be food um just be a fun night um you know just like we had said before it's essentially kind of like a, a call night so uh yeah it'll be fun like i think i think there's eight eight spots left yeah there's your chance to get to a shop. <laughs> Eight lucky people. Yeah. We'd love to, to see some, some new faces. It'd be great. All right, Josh. Have a good afternoon. We want to thank all of you that listened to this edition of the End of the Line podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. <laughs>